You're tuned into How to OT, making research more accessible and more consumable for the occupational therapy practitioner. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. On today's episode of How to OT, I am speaking with Maggie Armstrong and Eric Yamakado. Guys, thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. You are so welcome. Um, A quick little intro for Maggie and Eric. Maggie, who's one of the very first people I met in our cohort, and then one of my fellow bro tees, Eric, um, who was also one of my back row seat buddies in uh, in all our classes. You missed those times. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate <laughs> that we had to end our education not seeing each other in the classroom or at school, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. I'm glad we've got this to help us round out the semester instead. Me too. Um, And you guys work together on a project titled Program Development for Neurodiverse Students in Higher Education. Sounds like a super interesting project right off the bat. This is the first interview I've done with two people who have worked on the same project. How did you decide to take on this project together as a team? Yeah, so um, I actually came up with the project idea of working on this programming for neurodiverse students in higher education. Um, And while I was at the very, very beginning stages, um, when I was first joining my mentor's lab, she asked me if I thought I would want a partner on this and suggested Eric to me. Um, He had some interest in the same population. And I was like, yes, please, I need the help. So then I got Eric on my team. And it's been a great help, great addition. Maggie approached me with this opportunity to join her project because originally for our mentor, Dr. Milton's lab, me and a few other students were going to work on developing a student-run pediatric clinic. And that kind of fell through. And so, yeah, when Maggie approached with this opportunity, I was really glad and fortunate because autism spectrum disorder and other neurodiverse conditions have always been an interest of mine. So yeah, I was fortunate. Awesome. It's really cool that you guys were able to work on this as a team. But before we dive into really the the meat of your project, is there, are there any fun facts or past experience you guys would like to share with our listeners to kind of introduce yourselves more? Maggie and I went to the same undergrad for university, the (laughs) University of Michigan. Right on. Go Big Blue, right? (laughs) That's a great fun fact. Yeah, we didn't know each other there and we didn't meet um, until we got into this university. So it's pretty cool that we ended up working so extensively on a project together after not knowing each other for all of undergrad. That really is interesting. And both you guys uh, had a part in some of the med school musical productions. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Um, we've actually both been in the musical, I think, both of us for the past three years. Is that right, Eric? Yes. Yeah. Um, I stay more on stage while Eric helps us with our music. Yeah, I play um, percussion in the orchestra pit. Right on. Very cool. And those productions are always so well done. And I think, I mean, one of my personal favorite parts, I may be a little biased, is seeing my classmates (laughs) like you guys um, perform uh, and see how talented you are outside of the OT realm. Yeah, I think, (laughs) thank you. Yeah. 
I think it's just nice to have a time to be silly and have fun outside of the classroom and uh, further develop connections with OT students, but also with the rest of the medical school. Very well said. Okay, I have an important question for you guys. What is neurodiversity? Neurodiversity is this idea that um, everyone has individual differences in the makeup of, the, of their brain, their cognition, and how they function, and that that's something that should be celebrated and shouldn't be looked at as deficits. So neurodiversity includes populations like people with ASD, autism spectrum disorder, um, ADHD, uh, dyslexia, just any difference in your cognition would be included in that. But yeah, just adding to what Maggie said, it's really just a social movement. So you're viewing these, um, what, we, what we would traditionally consider like a disability, you'd view them as variations of the human mind rather than disorders or whatever label you would give them. Very cool. And was there something that led you guys to, to research this topic in particular? Maybe something or someone that inspired you to take it on? I had a couple different pieces that led me here. The very first thing was that I um, went to Denmark and did a quick uh, one course study abroad experience there. And the teacher that taught me there, she had actually done her own research on adults with autism um, and got their input on how they perceive services that they'd had throughout their lifetime had affected them. That was my first look into an adult population with autism. Typically, I just I'd grown up so much around um, kids with disabilities um, and hadn't taken a great look into the adult population yet. In addition to that, getting their own perspectives on things was eye-opening to me. Um, that led me to learn more over the years on um, participatory action research. And that's where you have a population that you're interested in studying involved in your research. So I was here thinking, how can I understand better this adult population and really make sure I'm catering to their needs and not just doing something that I'm interested in? So I went around in some circles thinking of different ideas, but eventually I learned about this gap in higher education of what services are provided to students with ASD on, in that um, realm. And I began to learn about neurodiversity, so the wider variety of uh, students that are also impacted this way. Um, and I was like, how can we add to this gap? What can we do to make sure these students are succeeding to the best of their ability? That's, that's such an awesome motivation for a study. And Eric, when uh, you learned about this opportunity, you may have touched on this a little bit earlier, but what made you say yes? So my oldest brother has autism and it's been a very influential aspect of my life in regards to my academic interests and my career outlook. So I had been interested in a career where I could work with people who have autism. That led me to OT, but I had never really considered college students with autism or other neurodiverse conditions 
And so when Maggie brought this up and mentions this gap in um, support that an individual with a neurodiverse condition may experience while they're um, in college, I, I found it really interesting and disappointing to a certain extent that a whole population of people can be overlooked and have their needs disregarded. So, so when Maggie approached me with the project, I was interested in it right off the bat and glad that I was able to join. It sounds like both of you had really strong motivations rooted in your own personal experiences for completing this project. And I think that's so important to have because doctoral research can be freaking hard sometimes. <laughs> um, so it's great to have that motivation to, to help you keep pressing forward. And one thing that, in my opinion, is pretty hard about doctoral research is all the background research that goes into your project and everything that you do. Um, so I know you both put in effort in coming up with an extensive literature review of your topic. Can you go ahead and share with us some of the key findings and background information that you found? Neurodiversity is a relatively new term, so there's not going to be a ton of literature specifically focusing like on that term. But, you know, obviously there's plenty of literature on neurodiverse conditions um, individually. So literature about college students with autism spectrum disorder, ASD, or ADHD. So let's say specifically if we're looking at ASD, some of the statistics that we found was that 44% um, of individuals with ASD pursue post-secondary education, whether it be university or, or college. And only 41% of these college students with ASD complete their degrees compared to their peers' graduation rate of 52. So clearly, like, there's a discrepancy in these graduation rates. And, of course, there's a lot that goes into it. But one thing that we found that OTs could assist on is programs to assist neurodiverse college students. And when we were looking at the literature, we found that the current practice lacks guidelines on how to develop and implement programs. Maggie, if you wanna add anything. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I'd also like to add, we found out pretty quickly that OT doesn't have a strong hand in this area either, even though we have a lot of skills that we could contribute to this. While there's this academic portion of just passing your classes, we know that there's a lot, a huge transition that goes on when you go off to college. There's um, life skills, socialization, general executive functioning, both in and outside of class. So we really were confirmed by our literature searching that this was the right place for us, be, for us to be doing our project, but we didn't really know exactly where to go because there wasn't a lot of guidance. There's a lot of programs out there for these different groups, um, but there's a lack of evidence in the literature to show how effective they are. So what we ended up doing is starting out by just trying to collect that evidence. We found as many articles as we could on these different programs. We made an Excel sheet finding out pros and cons of different programming until eventually 
we were able to settle on um, this one program called Project Reach, and that's the direction that our project ended up going. Awesome. So you guys settled on this program, Project Reach, and then incorporated that into curriculum at Washington University, or how did that work? So we didn't um, add it to any type of course exactly that students could sign up for for credit. What we did instead was have a program just outside of the coursework that they could sign up for. It's a nine week program that we adapted from this original project reach um, and students would come once a week uh, and just meet with us and meet with each other and go through our programming. That, that sounds really cool. And what is Project REACH, if you could maybe briefly describe that? Project REACH is group programming for neurodiverse college students. It focuses on self-advocacy, communication, executive function skills. It was developed by Dr. Kristen Gillespie Lynch at the City University of New York. As Maggie mentioned um, about the participatory approach, um, they utilized that and got students with ASD involved in developing this program. So having them and their input guide the development of the program so it would match the needs that need to be covered. I think it's a pretty cool program. It's been the first publication of it was from 2017. So of course it was running for a few years before that as well. So it's been going on for a while now, which was a great benefit to us. We ended up working directly with Dr. Kristen Gillespie Lynch and she gave us access to all the materials that they use. So with that, we're able to see how she has progressed the programming and it varies semester to semester with that participatory, participatory research part they want to make sure they're catering exactly to their students' needs and what would most benefit them. So what we ended up doing was try to collect the pieces of those that seemed like the most relevant starting point and the pieces that seemed most within the scope of occupational therapy uh, and then pieced together our own nine-week programming based off of all those materials. And so, like Eric said, that ended up including the self-advocacy, communication, and executive functioning topics. Your design of the program included meeting once a week with students over a total period of nine weeks. Is there anything else you want to mention about the design? Like, yeah, like we said, there's three modules. So module one is self-advocacy. That is for weeks one through two. Module two is communication, which is weeks three through five. And then module three is executive functioning, weeks six through nine. So for module one, self-advocacy, the topics were neurodiversity. So defining it and seeing what it means to the students, self-advocacy and the rights that the students have in terms of academic accommodation as well as workplace accommodations. For module two, communication, topics included conversations, nonverbal communication, and resolving disputes. And then module three, executive functioning, 
the topics were smart goals, which Maggie can go into, um, mm-hmm. scheduling slash productivity, attention and mindfulness, and then finally managing stress. Yeah, so just to give you an idea of that smart goals, um, this is just one format that uh, people use to create more productive goals. Um, so it's an acronym that stands for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely. It's just to make sure that you write achievable goals so you can reach success. For each session, uh, as we mentioned, it was a one hour long meeting, one time per week. And, you know, it consisted of PowerPoint slides, discussion activities, and we tried to make it as engaging as, as possible. And of course, you know, there are things that we're learning along the way and what we can do better in terms of making the sessions more in, engaging and more effective. Before we go any further, I think we've forgotten to um, mention Caroline. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Car- <laughs> Caroline, <laughs> Caroline is the, um, another member of the research team. She is a second-year master's student. Maggie and I are third-year doctorate students. Yeah, she came along, and we've all worked together really well, and she's been extremely helpful in getting this mm-hmm. program developed and implemented. So sorry for not mentioning you sooner, Nick Caroline. She unfortunately couldn't um, make it to this um, interview, but we're, we're really grateful for all that she's done. That's very true. Caroline came along um, after we had picked out our program, so picked out Project Reach, but she, all three of us worked pretty hard on uh, picking out these modules and making them our own. And she uh, particularly was focused on the communication module, and we probably couldn't have gotten through that without her. It sounds like you guys had a, a great team. And I want to ask about these categories. So you were providing instruction on certain topics, uh, which were part of those three main categories, self-advocacy, communication, and executive functioning. How were you able to measure or quantify a student's performance in each of these categories? Part of the reason why I was excited for Eric to join me at the very beginning was because I knew that there was a lot of different data I wanted to collect and that that would be difficult to do by myself. So when Eric joined the team, um, we ended up splitting up our responsibilities. I collected information on qualitative data. um, So, you know, more of the word aspects of how people are feeling about things. Um, And Eric focused on the quantitative data. Yeah, so we developed these assessments. And um, of course, it's going to be measuring self-perceived levels of self-advocacy, communication, and executive functioning. For the quantitative measurements, I adapted them from existing assessments. And so basically, for the quantitative questions, it would provide a statement such as, I can define neurodiversity. And then it would provide Likert scale frequency options. So these would range from never true to always true. And um, we did these measures over Qualtrics uh, electronic surveys. So the participants would select an option, which would indicate their ability and comfort level with this specific skill. 
then Maggie, you did the qualitative. Yeah, so on that same Qualtrics survey, at the end, there would be a few questions that were more open-ended for myself to collect data on. These varied by module. I should mention that each of these assessments, both quantitative and qualitative, they were given both pre and post each module. So each module had its own assessment in order to see change from before and after the programming. The questions that were presented for the qualitative topics, those were developed with pretty heavy collaboration from Dr. Gillespie Lynch and also her participatory research team. So we were able to actually meet over Zoom um, and have them analyze my questions, see if this works, if these questions were understandable for this population, which is pretty interesting to see uh, the different thought processes that go in for these students with ASD that I talked to. But yeah, we just put in a variety of number of questions at the end of each assessment. Things like, how would you define neurodiversity? Why would you or would not disclose your disability? There are various questions about reading body language and engaging in conversations and um, some goals about, or some questions about writing smart goals, uh, organizing schedules, things like that. Yeah, again, it sounds like each of you played to your strengths and were really able to complement one another in working on and completing this project together, which I think is really neat. And I want to ask, what impact uh, did your program have on these categories, both quantitatively and qualitatively? After recruitment, we had two participants comparing the pre-test mean scores and the post-test mean scores. For each module and for each participant, they experienced an increase in their self-perceived levels of self-advocacy, communication, and executive functioning. However, because we only had you know, two participants, these descriptive statistics are definitely better supported by the qualitative results that Maggie derived. Yeah, so that's part of the great thing of having both quantitative and qualitative data. Um, we were able to take the concrete numbers that Eric had and support them with some direct quotes. So for example, um, we have both participants showing a, a great definition of neurodiversity. So one said that people have different brains with different strengths and weaknesses. Mankind's neurological makeup is diverse. When the other defined it as the presence of multiple minds and abilities. Getting direct quotes like that was, I think, one of the most interesting parts for me, but obviously that's why I chose to be analyzing the qualitative data. It was also interesting when our quantitative and qualitative data didn't quite match up. So we had one participant that scored a bit lower on their quantitative questions about directly about um, disagreements. However, their qualitative response to that um, topic question actually showed great insight. So that might reflect a lack of confidence in the area, even though they demonstrated understanding of the skills, perhaps. This is all really interesting. And I know that it is a, a small sample size, which makes it seem like uh, your results are tough to generalize to a neurodiverse population as a whole. But I think what's so awesome about your study is that you were able to create and implement a program specifically for students in higher education who are neurodiverse 
and students liked it. It is a small sample size, but you still saw an increase in self-advocacy, communication, and executive functioning, um, mm-hmm. which I think is really neat. Yeah, and just to add to that, I don't think I mentioned that we did get some programmatic feedback as well. Um, the very last day we looked for that, and that was important to us because we are working to implement this again in the fall. So look out for more data and more information on hopefully further success of the program. I guess that leads to to this question. What would you recommend to someone who wants to implement a program similar to this in higher education? What what could they do? So I think making connections outside of your profession. So we collaborated with Disability Resources, which is WashU's Danforth campus office for students with disabilities. They helped with setting up the research project, selecting the program, recruiting. So those sort of interprofessional communication skills can be vital for setting up a program like this. If you're starting from scratch, it really helps to have support from the rest of your university community, for sure. That's a resource that maybe not everyone at a university is aware of, but especially in OT education, it would be important to be aware of and to utilize Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. well. Yeah, in in addition to making connections within your own campus, um, I think it's great to make connections with people outside of campus who are doing similar sorts of things as you. Um, So through Dr. Gillespie Lynch, we actually learned about um, the College Autism Network Virtual Association of Scholars, also known as Canvas. Um, You can find out more about them on collegeautismnetwork.org. Uh, but they were, they're a pretty cool resource for us to just connect with a greater community of scholars who are working to um, further benefit this population. And they, I think, brought another dimension to our work that we wouldn't have had without them. One other thing to add is just to remember that, you know, the challenges that these neurodiverse students face in the classroom don't disappear when they come to our program. At the beginning of our sessions, we had to Uh, troubleshoot for a little while to figure out how to best accommodate our students. And I think you're going to experience that at the beginning of every session with uh, the unique needs that each student has. So coming in with the understanding that you're going to have to be flexible, I think is a a good idea. Absolutely. That is really valuable advice. I want to ask you guys one more question before we get to some of the more personal and opinion parts of this interview. And that is if you would like to share a clinical example or a story of how you saw a positive outcome from participation in Project Reach. When I was leading um, some of the sessions, I was primarily focused on the third module, executive functioning. So my topics for leading were the scheduling, productivity, attention, slash mindfulness, and then managing stress. And one of the participants really admitted that this was their greatest area of improvement, being able to organize their class schedule and maintaining a consistent um, homework routine. They, at the end of the module, they were excited to 
explained that they, you know, successfully were improving in their organization habits and study habits. And it was nice to see that they put in the effort on their own to implement some of the strategies that we were discussing in our session and actually seeing that pay off. I agree. I was thinking about that same topic, actually. I think that module was a particular area of interest for us, and it was interesting to get to see the progression of students because we spent full four full weeks on it. Um, and I think we may be thinking of the same student, Eric, but they were able to first come up with some ideas of how they wanted to schedule and we got to see the progression of getting to that point. You know, at first they came back and said, oh yeah, it's a good idea, I haven't done it yet. But by the end, they realized that this new method was something that was going to benefit them and that, that they wanted to make it a priority. I, th I think that's one of the greatest feelings a therapist or practitioner can have is seeing someone actually use an intervention or a strategy or something you worked on together on their own um, independently after the fact and really hear from them that it's still continuing to positively affect their life. Mm -hmm. And we recognize that these sessions are taking place outside of their, their actual classwork. So it can be very challenging to implement any kind of strategies or lifestyle change. So seeing them, attempt them and seeing what goes well and what doesn't go well was a worthwhile, um, I guess, experience on mm -hmm. our part. Mm -hmm. um, okay, guys, for this next round of questions, it's going to be rapid fire. So the first okay. person to answer wins and the person who is last to answer will be shamed. No, no. <laughs> Let's <I'm>, do it. <laughs> <laughs> Eric's ready to go. No, I'm, I'm totally just kidding. I I would love for both of you to chime in on on all of these questions. Okay, so what have you enjoyed most about doing this project? For me, I really enjoyed getting that experience with developing, adapting, and implementing a program because I feel as though that can be a beneficial skill for myself. Um, for my future career. And it's one of the reasons that I wanted to do the doctorate degree over the master's. Additionally, I, I just feel like Maggie, Caroline, and I worked really well together and our work habits complemented each other really well. It was a great experience overall. I was thinking very similar things, Eric. Just first, of course, I absolutely loved seeing the difference I could make in these students' lives and building connections with them and helping them build connections with each other. Um, I always love that part, and that's why I'm trying to be an OT here. Um, but the unexpected uh, joy that I found was learning more about teamwork and balancing, learning to balance my own skills with my teammates' skills. I've worked on group projects extensively through my uh, education, but this was completely different because we were going to be working for so long together. Um, and it was great to have such a strong balance between all three of us and see that work out so well in the end. Yeah, that's awesome. That's one of my favorite questions to ask all you guys. I love hearing that from 
from each of my classmates. But as we know, research isn't always easy. Uh, what were some of the things that were difficult about this project and process? I think it was really difficult to figure out first how to recruit people, um, making that connection on this with our disability resources um, was really valuable once we got there, but it took us a minute. And I think we still would have loved to have more participants and we'll be bringing that, what we learned from that past experience with us on our next iteration. Also the timing, like scheduling of our own program and getting attendance of our students was a little bit of a rocky start for us with people not remembering to show up because, you know, the scheduling is one of the skills that they're hoping to learn in our program. Um, but they had to get here in order to help and in order for us to help them. So that was definitely a challenge we faced at the beginning, but we made it through all of our sessions in the end successfully. Yeah, adding to that, when we were working with the disability resources, they were very eager to help us in implementing this program. Unfortunately, they were going through significant changes with their services and their personnel, and it made it difficult to communicate with them during the recruiting process and while implementing the program. So that was definitely a difficult aspect of the research project in implementing the program. But as Maggie mentioned, um, it, you know, it works out in the end and we're looking forward to learning from these challenges and making improvements for the next trial of um, Project Reach at WashU. Well Definitely said. all about flexibility. And, you know, that's one of the things I admire and like most about you guys is you both are super positive and Eric especially are you're super easygoing and and relaxed even amidst what may be perceived as tough situations yeah thank you of course so another question for both of you how will this research influence your future practice and your future career decisions as i mentioned for the one of the previous questions program development was a interest of mine so learning that program development doesn't necessarily involve creating something from scratch. One of the sayings I hear in the OT program all the time is that you don't need to reinvent the wheel. So if there are the resources available, just adding to existing programs or resources that already have evidence and just strengthening what's already there. And in terms of a, a future career, as I mentioned, I never previously considered neurodiverse conditions um, in post-secondary education and then expanding the role of OT into post-secondary education because it's virtually um, non-existent right now. So I don't know if it's possible, but expanding yeah, that role of OT into working with people at colleges or universities um, would be an interesting aspect for a future career. Yeah, I have similar feelings. Um, you know, I have found at OT school that I have a lot of different interests. So I'm not so sure where, where my career is going to take me, and I'm looking forward to exploring a lot of different venues, uh, particularly early in my career. 
but I do know that I have this interest in how OT can be involved in higher education. Um, this type of programming is one avenue for that, but I've continued to keep an eye out on the different, different modes and methods we might be able to use to access this population. And you know, it might not apply just to students with neurodiverse conditions. I think there's something to be said to having an OT available to all students, um, just like a psychologist is available to anyone. And so I would love to somehow fit that into my life down the road. We'll see how that works out. Those are awesome goals. And, and I love hearing how doctoral research really is going to impact you guys for the rest of your careers. Um, that's really, that's really neat. What do you hope that occupational therapy practitioners take away from what you did with this program and the results that you saw? I think that this is a really hard thing to do, making this type of programming for this population in this setting. <laughs> but most important is to figure out what your students want to gain. This experience is supposed to be for them, not for us. So really making sure that you're meeting the needs of your population is what I hope they gain. Yeah, that's a great point. That aspect of client-centeredness. Um, mm -hmm. And then also understanding and recognizing the concept of neurodiversity as a whole. Um, it's something that I was completely unfamiliar with until I started on this project. So being aware of the term and the movement of neurodiversity, mm -hmm. it could be very beneficial for really any OT practitioner. I think that's a great point, Eric. Is there anyone you would like to acknowledge or thank in the completion of this project? Definitely. Um, we would love to thank our mentor, Dr. Lauren Milton, for sure. She guided us throughout the, the creation of this project. Um, and also Dr. Kristen Gillespie-Lynch, as she's been mentioned before. We're really grateful that she was willing to open up so much of her resources to us um, both time and materials really was a strong benefit. And then finally, just the Disability Resource Center, uh, the connections that we made there um, were really valuable. And also, as we mentioned, Caroline for all of her work as a member of the team. And don't think they'd ever hear this, but the participants. Oh yeah, thank you to the participants. We loved having you guys. Yeah. Awesome, that's great guys. Only one more question, saving the best for last, per usual, the golden nugget segment. Are y'all ready? Well, what's one thing that you learned from this research, or I'll even expand it into your whole time at WashU that you wish everyone knew? I wish that everyone knew that children with autism can go to college. I don't think that's something everyone thinks about typically but it's definitely a possibility and including for all the other um, neurodiverse conditions out there. Just keep those horizons wide, I'd say. And the idea of client-centeredness and applying it not only to OT, but to everyday life. So if you're ever listening or working with any individual in any kind of setting, or situation, just listening and learning about an individual or a group's strengths and challenges and trying to 
avoid judgment, which, you know, that can be impossible at times if we're being realistic. So at least trying to be aware of the judgments and reflecting on why you've had them and preventing them from negatively influencing your actions. I think that this was an aspect that had to um, utilize during this program. Um, and I think it's something that can really be applied to any aspect of life. Thank you guys again so much for your time, for the work you've done on this research, and really for working hard to be the best or the OTs that your future clients deserve. Thank you so much for having us, Matt. We really value the opportunity to share this work with everyone and love that you're doing this for us and the rest of our classmates. Yeah, thank you, as Maggie said, for having us here and giving people a platform to disseminate their their work. So thank you. Guys, you're making me blush big time over here. Thanks for listening to How to OT. Tune in next time for another episode where we bring accessible and consumable research straight to you. Good, good. I think we're ready to get started then. Cause I love my occupation. I think I should pull up my PowerPoint. I'm on vacation every single day. Cause I love my occupation. Oh no, I was just agreeing with you. Everybody sour like a lemon tree. I'm just smiling down upon my enemies. Do the shit and love it on a daily. Say you hate your job, but you'll never leave. Never leave, but then it wasn't easy. I'm just gonna leave it with what Eric. But actually, actually, I do have something. Can I, can I add something to a past question? Oh wait, so can you ask that question again so I can answer appropriately? <laughs> yes, good point. I'm on vacation every single day, every every single day. That's a great fun fact. Every single day, because I love my occupation. Okay, did that make sense?